Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Dr. Bill Takeshita is the Chief of Optometric Services for the Center for the Partially Sighted, as well as Consulting Director of Low Vision Training for the Braille Institute. And we're partnering, partnering with, with the Center for the Partially Sighted to offer you these monthly telephone podcasts. The Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. We ask that all questions tonight be kind of general in nature and not include too many specific names to protect the privacy of others. And uh, again, tonight's topic is Ask Dr. Bill. So thank you, Dr. Bill, for for doing this for us tonight. We're all looking forward to it. Oh, thank you very much, Sue. It's it, it's always so wonderful when it's that time of the month to do this because I really, really enjoy speaking to all of you. And uh, you know, we we so many of us we've known each other for so long. And I was just <laughs> thinking, how long has it been that we were working with kids? And it it's actually been about twenty eight years that we've been working with kids. And <laughs> my kids say. Dad, you are so old. 28 years you've been working? Oh, my gosh. But I think that I come to realize that uh, my kids are right, and I am getting older. But, uh, Sue, you're staying as young as ever. That's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I don't know. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you know, for this evening, we're going to open it up to all of you for any types of questions that you may have that might be related to some different types of eye diseases, or it could be related to different tools. What types of things might help a student or an infant to see better? Or you might have any other types of questions that's related to vision, and uh, I'll do my best to answer them. And as a matter of fact, today on my email, I actually received uh, three questions from people who weren't comfortable with speaking these questions uh, out loud because they weren't going to be on the call tonight. They had other events, but they're going to be able to listen to this on our podcast that's being recorded. Also, what I'd like to say uh, especially very much, thank you to Dick Burden, who's our audio engineer. Uh, He is with Airs L.A., and uh, he has sacrificed the big dinner meeting that he had just so that he could make certain that this would be recorded. So thank you very much, Dick, and we will make certain that this program is going to be up on the Braille Institute website uh, next week, and you Mm -hmm. can then retrieve that by going to www.brailleinstitute.org, or you could go to Airs LA, and that is www.airsaisla.org, where we have every podcast that we've ever recorded uh, for Braille Institute and a whole lot more. So uh, the first question that I'd like to go ahead and to read, it comes from a mother, and her question was, what types of vitamins are actually helpful for children who have vision problems, or is it that these types of vitamins are really not healthy for a child? And that's a really good question because as you listen to the radio or the newspaper, or many times you could be going through different magazine articles, you often run into many different types of advertisements that promote vitamins that could perhaps improve vision. Some promote that they can reverse the loss of vision due to certain diseases such as retinitis pigmentosa. Others say that if you take their vitamin, it will eliminate glaucoma. While others will even report that if you take these particular types of vitamins, you could prevent these types of eye diseases from developing. Well, The thing that I do know about vitamin therapy is the fact that there are many advertisements and commercials that make these claims that vitamins will restore vision, 
or they will prevent blindness, or that they can eliminate glaucoma. And my experience has been that none of these types of vitamins will do these miraculous claims. Unfortunately, by taking a vitamin, you cannot prevent an eye from becoming damaged, whether it's because of a disease process or if it's trauma. So vitamins are something that we have to be very, very careful about. Number two about the vitamins, even though the vitamins may not prevent blindness from certain diseases, vitamins play a very important role in the health of the eyes and in the function of vision. So it's a good idea for children to take vitamins because these vitamins will help to keep the eye's tissues healthier. So, for example, we know that children who do not consume enough vitamin A, they may suffer from night blindness. And these children who have this form of night blindness, they often have difficulties. They cannot see if they go into the auditoriums at school or if they go out to a friend's home and they start to play at night. They really can't see and they might get hurt or injured. These kids, if you look at their fingernails, Sometimes you may notice that their cuticles are very, very white. Or if you look at the whites of their eyes, for some of these children, you may even see that there's like a foamy appearance on the very corners of the whites of their eyes. This can be an indication of vitamin A deficiency. And for uh, these children, if they do take vitamin A or they eat fish, these are things that can actually reverse that type of a situation. But also, just for children who do have a generally healthy diet, it's also helpful for them to have those appropriate vitamins. So I do strongly recommend that a child would take a multiple vitamin. It could be the Flintstones, one a day, any of these types that the kids may like. One thing that I do not recommend is that I do not recommend that children take high dosages of vitamins. There are vitamins that are designed specifically for adults who have diseases of the eye, such as macular degeneration. When an adult has macular degeneration, their eye doctor may prescribe these vitamins, and these vitamins have a high dosage. Now, if a child were to take this dosage of vitamins, it is often going to be too much. It could be toxic. So we don't recommend that a child will take something that is designed for adults. Things such as Preservision or eye caps, those types of vitamins are not designed for children, and children should not take it. Also, I recommend that you would speak with your child's doctor, the pediatrician, to see whether or not there is any medical condition that would make it dangerous for a child to take vitamins. You know, we often think that if it's available and we could buy it off the shelf at the drugstore, then it is safe for us to use. But in reality, there are so many types of vitamins that you can purchase off the shelf and they may be dangerous for you. For example, these are vitamins that may not cooperate well with your blood type, and it could cause your blood to become too thick, and you might have a stroke or other types of problems. So all in all, vitamins can be helpful to keep in the eyes healthy, but taking vitamins will not cure certain diseases such as glaucoma, cataracts, retinal detachment, or other types of tissue damage that has already occurred. And it is most important, again, with the vitamins, to speak with your pediatrician and ask them which vitamins are healthy and which of them are not. Okay. Does anybody else out there have a, a question that they'd like to ask or anything they'd like to add uh, to this discussion about vitamins? 
Okay, Sue, do you have any questions that came in to you? Well, I just went, I mean, along the lines of like eye health and such, um, I, I have a question regarding a cataract, actually. Um, I have a couple of questions, but this one kind of came to mind recently, and I, I was actually discussing this with a colleague today. But um, we were talking about cataracts, and we were wondering what your what your your thoughts were about when, if when a cataract is discovered, what is what is, what should be the treatment plan in terms of removal? When you, how, how soon should a cataract be removed if it's discovered in an infant or in a preschooler? And then, are there um, any reasons you would wait to remove that cataract? Yes, that's a, also a very important question. Um, the first thing is to understand what is a cataract. We hear that term very often that people will say, I have a cataract. And many people have the understanding that a cataract is when you have a tumor that's growing in your eye. Other people think a cataract is when there's a film like mucus covering the front of your eye. Well, the reality is that a cataract is when the lens that is inside your eye, that it becomes clouded. Now, inside every person's eye, there is a lens that is called the crystalline lens. And this crystalline lens, it's very, very flexible at birth, and it's transparent in most cases. When a child wants to focus at one distance, the crystalline lens will change its shape so that that person is able to see that very clearly. But then when the child wants to see something at a different distance clearly, that crystalline lens will change shape again to enable that child to see very, very clearly. So it's a very, very amazing system that makes the eye unique where it can focus from far to near at middle distances very, very well. Now, for newborn children, the crystalline lens is usually going to be transparent, and it remains transparent through most of a person's life until they're maybe 65 or 70 years old. Now, when the lens becomes clouded, that cloudiness of the lens, it will then cause the vision to be blurry. You could think of it as though if somebody began to put a little smudge of Vaseline on your eyeglasses, it could make things blurry. If they then put more Vaseline, it would get blurrier. Another thing that we also think about with a cataract is what part of the lens is clouded. So, for example, if it is the very center of the lens that is clouded, we know that that's going to make it very blurry for that child when that child's trying to read or the child is going to look at her mother's face. If the cataract or the cloudy area is on the edge, somewhere off on the edge of the lens, it may not affect that child's clarity of sight. It just might mean that on the extreme left side or on the extreme right side, the child may notice that things are a little bit fuzzy, a little bit foggy, uh, but it may not affect that child's ability to read or to identify faces. So the first thing is that when a child is born, it is very, very important that the doctor who is delivering that child will look over the eyes as well as the other structures of the body of the child. When you look at a baby and the baby opens his or her eyes, you probably will first look at the pupil. And the pupil is the black circle right in the center of the colored part of the eye. When the doctor is looking in the pupil, if the pupil is not black, but the doctor sees that it's whitish, or it might be grayish, or it might even be a bit yellowish, that is an indication that it may be that that child has a cataract. In other words, the lens of the eye, it is not clear, but it's white or it's yellow or gray. 
And depending on the size of the discoloration, that's also going to determine how severe is this particular cataract. So the, the doctor then has the instrument that's called an ophthalmoscope, and the doctor could look into the eye of the baby and very, very quickly and very easily see the size and the severity of that cataract. Now, we also know that if there is a family history, let's say that the mother says, you know, I had a cataract when I was a child and my grandmother had that as well. Cataracts in children, this is something that is a congenital situation. So if there is a history of congenital cataracts, then the doctor is going to look even more carefully. If the doctors do identify that there is a cataract, the doctor is going to then refer that child to an ophthalmologist. Now, the difference between an ophthalmologist and an optometrist is that the ophthalmologist is a doctor who specializes in surgery, whereas the optometrist specializes in the diagnosis of eye conditions and prescribing of glasses and such. But it is the ophthalmologist who is the expert in surgery. What the ophthalmologist will then do is they will perform an examination where they use an eye drop to enlarge the pupil of the eye, and that allows the doctor to really see the cataracts very, very well. Now, one of the things that we do is, again, we will identify the location of where is the cataract. If it is directly in the very center of the lens, and that is something that is affecting the child's clarity of sight, then cataract surgery is something that will be considered. If the location of it is such that it's just on a section of the periphery, then it would most likely be that the doctor would not recommend surgery because the cataract isn't affecting the child's clarity of sight. Now, how do we know if the cataract is affecting the clarity of sight? Well, we know that the very center region of the eye is going to allow light to focus onto the retina, and the region of the retina that has the best detailed vision is in the center of the retina. That center region of the retina is called the macula. So a quick and easy way that we could do this is that we could shine our light into the child's eye so that it goes through the center of the lens and it focuses on the center of the retina, which is called the macula. And we have things that we could display in the eye. It could be a cross or a circle. And when we look at that cross or that circle, as it focuses on the macula of the retina, if it looks very blurry, we then know that this cataract is affecting that newborn baby's clarity of sight. If we then focus our light into the cataract, but it's not causing that image to be very blurred, we then could say, this cataract is not real severe. It is not severely affecting the child's clarity of sight. So once the doctors have determined how severe is this cataract, then the doctors will make that decision as to whether or not cataract surgery should be performed. Again, if the cataract does impair the child's clarity of sight, surgery will be recommended. But if it's mild or if it's in the periphery, surgery probably would not be recommended. Now, the reason that it's important to perform cataract surgery on the child who has blurred vision because of the cataract is because if the image that is focusing onto the retina is blurry, it sends a weak signal to the brain, and the vision centers of the brain, those cells will not fully grow. And that is a very, very significant problem, that if those cells of the brain 
or vision do not grow, then these children and later who become adults, they will have permanently blurred vision, no matter what treatment is performed. So if we then recommend that surgery is performed, the surgery is now going to allow the light to enter and to focus onto the macula, and that will then stimulate the brain cells, and these children could then develop normal vision. So the situation in which a cataract does not allow normal vision to develop, that is something that is called amblyopia. So in other words, the lack of normal stimulation to the brain is affecting the vision. Now, some people may then say, well, what if I have a child and my child has a cataract? And we know that that cataract is affecting the child's clarity of sight, but I don't want my baby to have surgery because my baby is too young. Would it be okay to wait six months? Or would it be okay to wait one year? And the answer to that is yes. It would be okay in many cases for you to wait to have the surgery. If the child's cataract is removed, say at the age of six months or even at 12 months, after the cataract has been removed, glasses or contact lenses will be prescribed for that child And then we perform a program of patching where we will patch one eye and force the child to see with the eye that just had cataract surgery. And by forcing that cataract eye to see, that will then stimulate those brain cells. And with that type of stimulation, vision will develop. Now, generally speaking, if the cataract surgery is performed, Before the first three years of life, the chances of improving the child's vision is very, very strong. But if we have a situation where a parent does not know that their child has a cataract and the surgery isn't performed until the child is six or seven years of age, that child who has cataract surgery and then gets glasses or a contact lens, will have very blurred vision in that eye. And the reason that, again, it is blurred is because for those years, the cells of the brain did not receive normal stimulation. So all in all, what this means is that if a child does have a cataract, it needs to be properly diagnosed, and surgery should be considered if it's affecting that type of visual acuity. After the cataract surgery is performed, the child must be fit with glasses and or contact lenses. But today, we also see that some of the ophthalmologists are putting an artificial lens implant into the eyes of some children. Now, that is something that is not performed on every child, and it should be on a case-to-case basis. The reason why it's not aggressively placed in every child's eye is because the child's eye is still growing. And if you insert an artificial lens in the eye and the eye starts to grow, we sometimes will see scar tissue that develops. So many times the artificial lens implant is not recommended until the child is much older and the eye has fully developed. But with these children who have received the proper surgical treatment and the proper glasses and contact lens treatments afterward, they can develop a very high degree of functional vision and they can use their vision very well for driving and reading and sports and other types of activities. Now, the other question that Sue had related to cataracts was, What are the possible hazards of having cataract surgery? There are hazards of having any type of surgery. If you have a surgery to your finger or your hand, there's always a risk during surgery that there could be an infection, even in a very, very sanitary surgical room. 
So we're always concerned about infection. But overall, cataract surgery is the most successful medical surgery that is performed. You know, with so many older adults who are baby boomers having cataract surgery, we see how it's so successful. And my mother just had cataract surgery, and she was in and out in under 15 minutes. And it was just so amazing. Um, So this particular type of surgery does have some concerns about infection. There's also the possible concern that the pressure of the eye might increase during that procedure. So if a child also has glaucoma, which means that the pressure of the eye is too high, the doctors may wait before removing a cataract. Okay. Okay. And the other possible type of complication is that it is possible that for some children, they may suffer from a retinal detachment after cataract surgery. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, very important that after the surgery is performed, that the child goes to those follow-up visits so that we can make certain that everything heals very, very well. Okay. Are the, do you have any other questions uh, about the cataract surgery there, Sue? No, I think that, one, that answers it. I think it gives, it, it gives good good feedback for some of the, some of the questions we had. So that's great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Now, one of the things that we also recommend for children who have received cataract surgery, and we recommend this for many of our patients, is that the child who has received cataract surgery and children with other types of eye conditions, they should wear glasses that protect their eyes from ultraviolet radiation. So we've all heard of UV. People talk about UV or people say, don't stay out in the sun too long. You've got to put on that sunshade, otherwise you're going to get a sunburn. And the reality of it is that the ultraviolet radiation from the sun, also called UV, is something that is very dangerous to the skin, but it also can be very dangerous to the retina inside the eye. So when a child has received cataract surgery, we always recommend that they wear ultraviolet filtering glasses. The reason that they must wear this is that when you remove the cataract or you remove the natural lens of the eye, you have removed the eye's natural protection against ultraviolet radiation. Now, when we talk about what colored lenses, does this mean that the child has to wear black sunglasses and, you know, look as though he or she is visually impaired with these huge black glasses? And the answer to that is no. The ultraviolet radiation that comes from the sun, it is actually invisible. In other words, it doesn't show any color. So the human eye cannot see ultraviolet radiation. And as a result, glasses can be made that are perfectly clear you can have perfectly clear glasses that will filter out the ultraviolet radiation. And that's really, really nice because in this way, a child who may be bothered by the ultraviolet light can wear a regular clear pair of glasses when they are inside and outside and it will protect their eyes. There's a lot of people who think that the only glasses that filter out the ultraviolet radiation are the very dark gray glasses or the black colored lenses. Those are the ones that filter the ultraviolet. And the answer to that is that is not necessarily true. You can purchase a pair of glasses that are dark brown or dark gray or black And they do cut out a lot of the light, so things don't appear to be as bright, but the ultraviolet radiation can still be penetrating through that lens. So when we talk about prescribing glasses that are going to filter the ultraviolet, number one, we want to make certain that these glasses have UV protection. 
And there are certain types of materials that are available that always filter out the ultraviolet, and that would be a polycarbonate lens. Polycarbonate lenses are really the most widely used lens for children because they are the strongest lens. So if your child runs into the corner of a coffee table, the glasses won't shatter. And number two, the polycarbonate lenses filter out the ultraviolet radiation. Now, once we have determined that this is the type of lens that's going to be best for your child, your child's optometrist will determine what would be the best color for your child. Your optometrist will measure how much vision your child sees under different levels of lighting. So in some cases, a child might require a very light-colored lens, such as a yellow lens, so that things will appear to be brighter for the child and the child will be able to see under dim illumination. This is something that works very well for children who have Leber's congenital amaurosis or retinitis pigmentosa. Now, for other situations, a child might do better if they're wearing an orange lens. Other kids will see better if we tint that polycarbonate lens a brown color or even a black color. So depending on the different diagnoses, we will then recommend specific colors of the lens. But the important thing is to protect it from the ultraviolet. You know, sort of as an example, uh, another question that I did receive was, how important is it for my child with albinism to wear sunglasses? My child with albinism, he just doesn't seem to want to wear glasses, even though he's bothered by the sun when we go outdoors. Well, albinism is a condition that is genetically related, and it is such that the baby is born without color to the eyes, the hair, and the skin. So when you look at the child's hair, the hair is white. You look at the eyebrows, white. Eyelashes, white. When you look at the colored part of the eye, the iris, it sometimes might appear a pinkish color. Their skin is so white that you could almost see through and see some of these blood vessels. Well, these children do not have the normal pigmentation, something called melanin. And because they don't have that normal pigmentation, they don't have a natural filter that protects them against the ultraviolet radiation. So for children with albinism, it is very, very important that they wear these types of sunglasses and also sun filters. They need to wear that sun protection for their skin. We have found in some reports, it has reported that children with albinism who do not wear sunglasses often show signs of retinal damage and skin cancer as early as 10 years of age. So that is really significant. What it means is that if we don't protect these children from the sun and that ultraviolet, they have a strong chance of having cancer by the age of 10. And these particular types of cancers are often not very easily treatable. So the point is sunglasses and a hat and sunscreen are very important for the child who does have albinism. Okay, next question. Let's open up to do any of the callers have any questions about your child or your student? Okay, here I get a, another email that <laughs> has just come in. <laughs> I've got one more question, too, but go ahead. Oh, okay, go ahead, Sue. You, you might, might, let's just take your question. That sounds like you've got, you're getting some good ones. Okay, yeah, this one that came in, it is basically asking, what are some of the signs and symptoms of the retinal detachment? Is there anything that I could look for that might suggest that my child is having a retinal detachment? 
And that is a very, very important question because retinal detachment is one of the more common causes of vision loss. And the good thing about a retinal detachment, if it is caught early, is that a retinal detachment that is diagnosed early can be treated. Just today, we had a young man who was 17 years old, and he suffered from a sudden retinal detachment to his good eye. His other eye was totally blind, but it was caught in his good eye. And the way that they caught it was that he told his father that he was seeing lightning. They were driving home, and he said, Dad, did you see that lightning? And Dad said, lightning? No lightning? He goes, yeah, there it is again. And the father then realized that this was something that the son was seeing from his eye, this flash of lightning. And he then told his son to put his head back and to look towards the ceiling of the car, and he drove him to the emergency room. So flashes of light, if a child complains that they're seeing flashes of light when it is not raining, this is a strong indication that there is a tear or pulling on the retina, and that can become a detachment. A second thing to be aware of is if the child says, I see a bunch of things floating. Where are all these bees coming from? It looks like there's spiders all over the sky, and they may even start to swat at them with their hands. That's an indication that the retina has torn, and some of the pigment under the retina is now floating in the eye. So it almost looks like those snow globes, you know, those toys you buy that you shake and all the white snow is floating. But it would be with usually black spots. So that's a second symptom of a retinal tear and a retinal detachment. A third symptom is when the child will say that it looks like there's a curtain you know when you go to those old movie theaters and they raise the curtains and they're scalloped edges and they're going up? Well, the appearance of a curtain that's going up and down is also another indication that one may have a retinal detachment. Other reasons that you should be concerned about a retinal detachment is if your child has just fallen. It might be that the child just falls off the bed and hits his head. It could be that a child was playing with another child and somebody hit that child in the head with a pillow. Or it could be that kids were throwing a little ping pong ball around and it just happened to hit the child in the eye. Or if there's a situation where the child has a high degree of nearsightedness. If a child has a high degree of nearsightedness, they're at a greater risk of a retinal tear or retinal detachment. And as we said earlier, if a child has recently received cataract surgery, we want to, again, inspect very carefully to make certain that the retina is not torn or detached. So you want to look for these types of symptoms, and if your child ever says anything like this, you don't want to wait. You want to take them immediately to the ophthalmologist or, if it's going to be off hours, go directly to the emergency room. Keep your child laying back so that his or her eyes are facing the ceiling. The reason that you do that is because when the child is lying down looking towards the sky, the fluid inside the eye is pressing the retina back down onto the eyeball. But if the child is leaning with the head looking down forward towards the floor, the retina has a greater chance of detaching. And as soon as you go into the emergency room, just say, my child's having a retinal detachment. And when you use that term, it is really, really interesting how quickly that the staff responds. You know, they do respond as that is an emergency, which is, you know, really, really good. So you want to look for those types of things, and you also want to tell your child's teacher to look for this list of symptoms, because if the child is at school and ever complains of any of these things, 
the teacher needs to be aware because, unfortunately, there's times that the child re- reports these symptoms to the teacher, but the teacher doesn't know what these things are, and the child suffers from a retinal detachment. And again, remember that if you do have an ophthalmologist, the child who has these symptoms, you want the ophthalmologist to be one who specializes in the retina. I think that if my child had these symptoms, I would go directly to the retina specialist if I did know of a retina specialist. If you don't know of a retina specialist, you can go right to the emergency room. Are there any questions about uh, retinal retinal tears or retinal detachments? And if you do have questions, I have to remind you uh, to unmute your phone, press star six, and then you could just ask your question and, and we could hear that. Are there any questions on this? Okay, one other thing that relates to the protection for kids if they do have a retina problem or that they've had a history of a retinal detachment, I think it's also a good idea if your child's going to be playing sports to purchase a pair of rec-spec types of glasses. And these are glasses that kids can wear, and you'll see the professional athletes wear them. And these are things that if a child is playing sports, makes contact, the glasses will protect them. Another brand are Oakley's. Oakley's are very, very popular. Uh, There's these Revo's. So there's many really cool glasses that a child could wear to protect them from having trauma, and that could also prevent a retinal uh, detachment. Okay, Sue, you said you had another question? Yeah, just, I just have one other question. I'm, you know, I, I was wondering if you could kind of help us explain explain the difference between optic nerve atrophy and optic nerve pallor. And I, I know that there's probably a very specific difference, but I see them on on uh, eye reports sometimes. And I just thought maybe if you could kind of give us just a just a just a quick uh, explanation of the two, that would be great. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Well, when we think about the anatomy of the eye we have to just remember that the eyes receive the light and then there's a long nerve that connects the eye to the very back of your brain. So you could even feel with your hand the back of your skull and you could feel a bump. And that is the area where visual information is being processed, right in that area, that bump. So this optic nerve is sending information from the eye and it connects at that bump. Now, when we as doctors look inside the eye of a child or an adult, the first thing that we look at is the optic nerve. And there's certain features of the optic nerve that are very, very important to look for. And number one, we want to make certain that the nerve itself is pinkish in color. When the optic nerve is pink, we know that there is blood that is getting into the nerve and it looks healthy and it keeps those tissues very, very healthy. But there are some cases where there has been injury to the optic nerve. It might be that the child has been hit in the head or we see some children who have experienced shaken baby syndrome or we see other children who have ingested alcohol. They have drank alcohol by mistake. These types of conditions can cause the optic nerve to no longer appear to be pink and the optic nerve is very white. And when the optic nerve looks very white like that, that is called optic nerve atrophy. The whiteness of the nerve, it indicates that those cells in the optic nerve a lot of them have died and are very, very sick. And when a person has optic atrophy, the chances of those fibers in the optic nerve to become healthy again, it's very, very slim. It's very, very slim. So as a result, many people who have optic atrophy, they may be legally blind. They may have no color vision. They may have very, very poor peripheral vision, and many times the child or the adult with optic atrophy may be totally blind in that eye. 
Now, the other condition is called optic nerve pallor. And what this refers to is that when you look at the nerve of a person, there may be a region of the nerve that looks a little bit whiter than the other areas that look more pinkish. And when a person has optic nerve pallor, it is possible that they have reduced vision in that region of the optic nerve, but it usually does not mean that these children or these adults are totally blind or that they have severe blurred acuity or a very severe color vision impairment. So it's basically a difference where optic nerve atrophy is usually something that is more, much more severe. It's a much more serious condition, whereas optic nerve pallor describes that part of the nerve looks a little bit wider. And we may see, for example, patients who have 20-20 perfect eyesight, and we can look inside their optic nerve, and we may say, there's a little bit of pallor right there. That's interesting. But every test that we may perform, we may find that the vision is normal. But if we see a person who has optic nerve atrophy, we will always find a serious level of vision impairment. Mm -hmm. So as it relates to very, very young children, very, very young children, if we see the newborn baby has serious optic nerve atrophy, that may be a real strong indicator that we're going to definitely teach this child to read and write with Braille because mm-hmm. this child may not have the vision to be able to read as fast as compared to if the child is reading or writing in Braille. Mm-hmm. But if a child who is a newborn has optic nerve pallor, that does not necessarily mean we're going to push and encourage that child to learn and read write Braille. But mm-hmm. we're going to follow this child's vision very, very carefully during the first two years of life. So it again reminds us that all children, they really need to have their eyes examined no later than six months of age. If the child has any other types of complications, such as premature birth, or the child wasn't breathing at birth, or there's other medical conditions, then these children really should be seen within the first month of life. And by doing so, we can then identify if there is a problem and begin the treatment much, much sooner. And the key to this is that treatment that is initiated during the first three years of life provides us with a better result as compared to if we start the treatment after six or seven years. Okay, let's see. We're running close to being out of time. It's uh, about 8.32. Does anybody in the audience have a question that they would like to ask about anything related to vision or they're looking for a video magnifier for their high school student Mm -hmm. To see the board, or are we uh, wondering if a child who is visually impaired has any chance of getting a driver's license? Are there any questions that anybody has? Okay, well, I'll answer very shortly just the one about driving because a lot of parents want to know about <laughs> that. Uh, yes, the answer is yes. You could be born with a vision impairment or develop a vision impairment, and After the low vision optometrist evaluates your vision, you may still qualify in most states, California included, to receive a driver's license. In other words, your vision may be very weak, but with the use of telescopic glasses, you may be able to qualify to take the DMV driver's test and get a driver's license. And that is something that is so, so exciting for so many kids as well as the parents where they say, I'm really glad that I don't have to drive you all the time because you could do it on your own. So, uh, Sue, I just wanted to turn it over back to you and I want to thank you again and thank Erzale for this. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Bill and Mr. Burden. 
Uh, it was a great, great call. I think we got we covered a lot of territory, <laughs> so I do. But I appreciate, I appreciate um, your expertise, and we certainly didn't stump you this time. That's for sure. Um, but I just wanted to, um, you know, let everybody know. Thank you so much for calling in. This will be the last call of the year. We have going to take a little break now for summer. Uh, we'll be off for July and August, and we'll resume again in September. So, um, Dr. Bill and I will be getting together our, our, our list of topics, and um, I know we'll have some great ones for next year, too. So I want to thank everybody, and again, uh, Dr. Bill, anything else before we sign off? Yes, I'd like to invite all of you out there to please, if you have suggestions of topics you would like for yeah. uh, us to speak about, please do so. And uh, we also, you know, are more than happy to invite other guests to come in to speak. We've had people such as Dr. Cal Tawanzi and Mark Borchert and uh, Dr. Thomas Lee. So we, we've had a lot of great, great doctors come on to speak. You know, one last message, uh, pardon me for making this announcement. Um, the Center <laughs> for the Partially Sighted, many of you may know, this is a low vision rehabilitation center here in Los Angeles. We've been in business for 37 years. Uh, but unfortunately, we are going through some very, very serious financial difficulties. Uh, there's many reasons of these financial difficulties from insurances not paying and patients having more patients that don't have funds to pay and just many other things. So we are going to be having a fundraiser. And this fundraiser is to help us to raise funds so that we could continue to provide this level of service for the children that we see. And this fundraiser is going to be on the weekend of June 28th. And it's going to be at the Grove. If any of you know of the Grove, where the farmer's market is in uh, the Hollywood downtown LA area, it will be at Maggiano's restaurant. There will be a silent auction. There's going to be all sorts of other great things. So if you would like more information on that, you can go to the Center for the Partially Sighted's webpage at www.low-vision.org, low-vision.org, or you could call us at 310 988 one nine seven zero, and we we truly, truly, really, really would appreciate any support that you could offer. So, Sue, thank you again for letting me make oh, that yeah. announcement. And sure, uh, sure. Yeah, it sounds like fun too. It sounds like a good, a good evening for you guys. Yes, yes, I sure hope that <laughs> it will. So, okay, everybody, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you again in the fall. Good night.